2: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Season 3 Q&A. Just in case you've managed to get here without realising this already, I'm Hero, the creator of Monstrous Agonies, and I was answering your questions with Sophie B, who plays the understudy. As always, with these Q&As, we were not recording under strict studio conditions, so please interpret this sound quality generously.
3: Let's go, let's go. Here we are for the the last time. (gasps) What I really love about this Q&A, the last one, is that you've sent me the questions and finally here at the final frontier, you have arranged the questions for me into some <laughs> semblance of order and category so I don't have to do it.
2: Well, I've been taking responsibilities away from you slowly all season. So in, order to, like, <laughs>
3: in order to prove
2: that I have less worth than you and so you get more in the divorce. Exactly, exactly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I so I can be like... Ah, oh, honest, Your Honour, they don't even do anything. They didn't even <laughs> order the cues for the Q&A, let alone... Have their own episode or anything? No. Look, in fairness, I fully intended for you to have your own episode, but then I don't know what I did to my spreadsheet this season, but I, I f***ed it. It's, <laughs> it's the only way I can <laughs> describe what happened yeah. to my careful... Like I was like, okay, it's the last season. You're going to sit down and do your spreadsheet and you're going to like plot it and it's going to make sense and there's going to be an understudy episode in the usual place because that's great and we love that um, and and all of these like plot beats are going to happen in sensible places and I know what those are and it's going to be great. And then it just all sh**ed the bed, really. It did all go a bit out the window, didn't it? Very quickly and and <laughs> irrevocably <laughs> out the window. <laughs> like it wasn't on the windowsill, it was gone. It was down on the garden, running across the lawn towards the trees. <laughs> it was It was eloping with its childhood
3: sweetheart. It was. Off it fed. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, I'm gonna moderate you now. I'm I'm gonna mod you so hard and we're gonna go into that first <sighs> question. So this comes from Alex, and first of all, they just want to know, how are you, Hero? I'm pretty
2: good, thanks, Alex.
3: Yeah, they want to know how I am, and I'm pretty good as well.
2: Wow, we're doing great. Isn't
3: that great? And um, and they also want to know if we uh, remembered to drink water today.
2: Have you drunk some water today, Hero? I did. I'm drinking some water right now um, with my other mouth that is not in front of the microphone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How about you, Sophie? hydrated?
3: I am. I drank some water at work and then, yeah, and then I had a bellini when I
2: got home, which probably has some water in it somewhere. When I was visiting you was when I realized that a bellini is not a small pancake. (laughs) No,
3: sweetheart, (laughs) no. Almost, but not quite. Almost. I think I'd prefer the pancake, to be honest. uh, Do you want to talk about your podcast for a bit? I'd love to, if only I had some questions to prompt me. Well, luckily for you, people listened to this podcast you made and and they want to know things about it. Caspian wants to know, so what was your favourite part of the creation of the podcast? It acknowledges that a lot of people say that their favourite part of podcasting is working with other people, but you, quite infamously, hardly worked with anyone making this. So was there some other element of making it that stuck out to you as a favourite bit?
2: Um, Yeah, this one made me laugh because I don't I, – like obviously I know that I make monstrous agonies, but the idea that I made it on my own is ridiculous because um, my favourite part of making this podcast has been working with other people. It's just that the other people have been all of the listeners. <laughs> um. <laughs> but genuinely the bit that has that really like lit me up and I was amazed and and, and the, that made me go oh wow this is something special was the response from from listeners to the submissions and to having that opportunity to to sort of build this world and this story uh, with me so this podcast is mostly just you it's not really I mean, <laughs> You know, I'm I'm the conduit, but um, yeah. When I look at when I look at my precious spreadsheet, it's so packed with submissions and with letters and with with ideas from other people. Yeah, that it it's it's that honestly, it's been it's been that that collaborative creation. Yeah, I was
3: about to say like it's it's fully just been such a, a collaborative process for you. And I know that you're very as someone who has edited various things for you, you have generally always been very fun to
2: collaborate with. So, and I think that's because of how much fun you find. Exactly.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It is like, I don't, I, there's, there's very few things that I've ever created that I've been like, I on my own can do this. Creating a whole like three years of a world, like, I, I don't think I could do that on my own. Like, I've got a big brain. It's not that big.
3: <laughs> Quite a few of your listeners want to know kind of the, the, the question that always gets asked during things like this, which is, do you have a particular favourite episode from this season? Um,
2: The baby, the baby... The baby. The baby um, baby. The little The Baby <laughs> Baby. The, the little baby. baby of all time. The babiest baby of all time. Um, who doesn't want to grow up because then she'll stop being a creature. That was great. I loved that. Um it's also hard because like favorite episode, like I tend to think of them in letters rather than whole episodes. Um I'm trying to think. What did, I, what did I do?
3: <laughs> Honestly, like I think the the final showdown with the CEO, like <laughs> I think we we like slightly different things out of fiction. I'm like, I wanna know what those characters are doing, whereas I think you like it sometimes when the narrative's a bit like, ooh, a bit wibbly and kind ooh. of going off in weird directions and so so I think for me especially because like I we went, we had a lot of chats about like well, what's going on with this character and what do they actually want and why are they such a big head and all that sort of thing and mm. so having that come to that final confrontation and kind of having all those lovely through lines and like the map of it all and I just think it was a really well done confrontation without it being cuz I know that you you were like the presenter's not going to fight them. Like, it's not going right. to be like, <laughs> it's not going to be some huge battle at the end of the world.
2: Like, it. it that's yeah. not who they are and that's not what this is. It's, it's one radio station standing up for
3: yeah. its morals.
2: Mm-hmm. It's not,
3: you know. I think it had enough successful stakes and drama and tension while also not suddenly taking us into a whole different genre. Mm.
2: I really, I tell you, my favourite bit of that was... Um, the presenter being like, "Oh my god, you pay for for good reviews? Yes. That's pathetic." i <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> of just being like, "Oh, you're because we knew you were you, we knew you were horrid, and okay. we assumed uh-huh. you were, you were stupid, um, but you're also really sad." Yeah, <laughs> I texted Dom after getting their audio for that, and I was like, "Oh, they're such a." you play them so well (laughs) tom was like thanks yeah i think that's a very high compliment my favorite episode uh, i think might be from season three Mm -hmm. might be the ceo's episode Um, oh yeah
3: okay no that is
2: it was really fun Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just to just to sit there and be like how do i cause the most psychic damage to the people who are expecting a nice normal monstrous agony yeah. episode. <laughs> oh, also the um I really love the uh, season three finale. I think I did a really fing good job. You um, did. And again, I think it's I think it's like very monstrous agonies. Like the fact that the two letters are like a poppy play werewolf <laughs> and somebody speaking like pseudo middle English and and talking about chili heatwave Doritos, that just felt like I was like, yeah, this is this is real monstrous agonies.
3: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, so Ella, uh, she specifically wants to know if
2: you have a favourite episode of the entire show. Um. So I I do listen to Monstrous Agonies quite often. It is my favorite podcast. I mean, it's (laughs) it's exactly what I like. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, I go back to the bonus episodes quite often because I think they just – they were really indulgent um, and they were just me – enjoying things and doing things that I liked and thought were interesting and then realizing that you can you can get actors to say anything yeah you can you can make Alan Bergen say i love
0: to
3: (laughs) slurp
2: and he just has to say that (laughs) he just has to say it the (laughs) constant professionals
3: absolutely
2: yeah um so my my favorite one of those is probably the immortal monk who is like writing his like hagiography of a saint he's like talking to god and oh it's just it's truly just me being like wouldn't this be cool (laughs) and burbling on
3: yeah that is very h.r owen is it is it a bit mortifying if i say that i think my favorite episodes are the q and (laughs) a's
2: that's not mortifying.
3: I just think we're really fun and I really like talking we're just to really you.
2: Fine. So It's nice it's, hanging out. It's nice and then I listen to them and I'm like, oh, I'm hanging out with my pal. <clears throat> so that's nice. Um, also the um, season two finale with the AI who's raising the little mandrake
3: Yes. I mean I think the the AI voice is possibly the pinnacle of your accents
2: like it is. But also but also I think I t- talking episode because the the other letter in that one is the guy who's been left his uncle's not decaying body in a big coffin. Mm-hmm. And that is like that was when I realized that all of the letter slots could be filled by submissions. I set a few aside for myself and that was one that was like absolutely like hardline going in somebody like my uncle has left his body to me, and it's weird um <laughs> and I really, really love that i I'm, i yeah that's that's one of my favorites for sure, so the a
3: i obviously one of your top tier voices and paper wizards um has a whole question about that, which is. First of all, a compliment, which I see you've left in rather than just skipping to the question. Um, the compliment I, th- is that your accents throughout the show have been phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. Oh. Yeah,
2: Paper Wizards didn't actually say that. I just...
3: You just typed it up. Yeah, I knew that. Um, but what, <laughs> were, what were the hardest accents that you had to do? Or were there any that you
2: flat out refused to do, for instance? <laughs> <laughs> there were. Um one person asked for a French accent on their letter and I said no. <laughs> I took one look at it and I was like, uh, non. <laughs> Mais non. Mais non. Parce que je suis à le France accent. <laughs> uh Yeah, so I, I didn't do a French accent. Somebody asked for a, a Brummy accent, for a Midlands accent. And um I was like, I'm not doing that because I tried to do one with Byamba the Mongolian Deathworm, who was from the Midlands, and it's fine <sighs> I don't really want to put more of my bad brummy accent into the world.
3: I mean I think considering considering that you
2: again are a single person doing
3: this by yourself without any sort of accent coach or anything, just with a lot of Vim and vigour. And vigour. Some might say vim and vigour. <laughs> Taking all those things into consideration, you've done a very good job of a lot of quite tricky
2: and very varied accents. Yeah. I think they get less varied as they go on. I think I get quite lazy. <laughs> well, I think I think
3: going back to season one, I do think you were like, every every letter, new accent,
2: let's go, something different. But I was also like, also in season one, I think I was, I was like, yeah, accents for everyone, but also hadn't quite internalized just how much you have to overact when you're voice acting. Mm-hmm. So like, like my, my sweet mom, I said something about like how hard it is to do the accents like fairly recently. And she went, oh, I didn't realize you were doing accents. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my God, devastating. <laughs> Thanks, sue <laughs> um but in fairness in in quite a lot of season 1
3: it... well i think a, a good fallback was always you were like i'll just do it and then speed it up <laughs> or oh, slow it yeah. down that's a new accent
2: yeah. and you know what it is it is and it counts um yeah and cuz there's there's all sorts of uh qualities to voice that you change when you're doing voices Mm -hmm. right so like um there's accent which is one of them and i kind of basically just go between northern and southern english like there's not there's a little bit of class difference going on but basically that's it um with a few outliers like um nessie's sister or the the trans boston lizard lady (laughs) (laughs) um and then there's all of these other qualities. So like, are you breathing through your nose? Are you breathing from your chest? Are you pitching it up high into your head? Or are you speaking from like down in the belly? And are you going quickly or slowly and all of these other things? You know, trying, trying to vary that, but also realize that if I'm speaking from down in my chest and slowing it down and going Southern, I'm just doing the presenter again and I need to do something <laughs> else. <you know? laughs> But actually, I mean, I do know exactly which was the hardest one to do. And it was the Coloradan accent. Because Colorado doesn't have an accent that I can tell. Maybe all of the Coloradans in the audience are really, really mad at me for saying that. But somebody was like, I love that you gave him like a bit of a twang. And it's like, I just can't do an American accent without a bit of a twang. I don't know what to tell you. See, for me, (laughs)
3: if I try and think, okay, what do I think about Colorado? All I can think about is that violence, like say colorado then the guy skis past really quick going i'm a
2: giraffe so to me see for me to me it's the line in uh do you know that that um country song where they got all the old country boys to sing about being a highwayman The the that one a place called boulder on the wild colorado and just that little bit like boulder the, no i just really like that bit. that's it
3: a place called Boulder. Boulder, Colorado. A place called
2: Boulder on a wild, Colorado.
3: Is it a monstrous Agony's QA a and a if, a if a a one of, of us hasn't burst into solo. song?
2: No. They buried me in that great tomb that holds no sound, but I am still around. Yeah. I'll always <laughs> be around and around. Always... Uh, Michael
3: would like to know which episode was the most fun to perform?
2: Ah. Uh, Baby was fun. Baby mm-hmm. creature, mm-hmm. um, trans Bostonian lizard lazy lady, and her moisturizer—great <laughs> crack. <laughs> the Middle English was really hard, but really fun. And I'm like, I. So I said to someone, I was like. They, they were um, texting me and they were like, oh, yeah, you, you did really, really well. And I was like, I mean, it's not really authentic pronunciation. Like, I don't know how to pronounce Middle English. And, like, even the things that I did know, like, I had to change it for the sake of, like, people who are listening who don't know. And, like, I don't know if it, like, translates properly. And they were like, if anybody calls you on that, they are a dick." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I'm, like, I'm like, oh, I didn't pronounce my Middle English properly. <laughs> that kind of actually sort of uh, comes around
3: to a couple of questions that came from both Jan or Jan Caltrop, one of one of the two. I'm not sure. I think
2: they like that you can pronounce it either way. Oh, I like that for them. Yeah. It's like a reversible windbreaker. You can wear it. It's exactly, <laughs> exactly like, do you know what I was thinking
3: when I was thinking about how you can pronounce it either Jan or Jan? I was thinking, God, do you know what? This is Literally, exactly (laughs) like a reversible windbreaker. That was the first thing that popped into my head. I think about windbreakers quite a lot. As someone who really loves practical fashion, yeah, it's um, and
2: I love actually. I... And I'm sure windbreaker is the word that you use for your windbreaker, or anorak, perhaps cagoule, okay, all of no, these normal stop. words for people to say. A
3: windbreaker, an anorak, and a cagoule are three completely different pieces okay. of clothing.
2: <clears throat> okay, we have to move on. Windbreaker and
3: a cagoule. Oh, do we? Now that I'm getting impassioned about something, they're the same. They're not. They're the same. No. They're not. No, okay. So both Jan and Mythic Menagerie have a couple of questions regarding research. So obviously, doing the Middle English episode, you will have fallen down one of your typical research holes. Because I know I love the whole You love to research. So um, Mythic Menagerie wants to know about some of the fun things that you learned about researching for the show, and Jan. Wants to know, sort of, you know, is there something that you maybe didn't end up using, but kind of was like, oh, is that's interesting? And then you were disappeared down a Wikipedia rabbit hole for five days.
2: Yes, I, uh, I have no satisfying answer for this because I go down research holes so often and so deeply that I have no real way of discerning which were monstrous agonies related and which weren't yeah it's it's every single day with you it's at the drop of a hat like you just yeah i think uh, it's it's it's, so also because for me research is like my starting point like i find it really 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 hard to write if i don't have i kind of need to to have the scene set quite well for myself already like i remember last season someone was uh, an underground creature who had evolved to not be able to see above ground. So naturally, before I could start writing, I had to go and research different kinds of cave creature and different kinds of animals that have evolved to not have eyes or to have vestigial eyes or to have eyes that work completely differently than us or that have all of these different senses that help them move around in a place where there just isn't any light. Um And only like half a sentence of that actually went into the letter, but I needed it so that the person who had written the letter could feel like a real person and could feel like a a real problem and also could feel like a real creaturely problem. Yeah, you don't want to fall down the kind of like the, what I would call the Zootopia
3: trap, as it were, where it's like, like, this is about racism. And then you get a bit further into the film and you're like, this is
1: it's really bad if that's
3: about racism so it's not it's not and it's the idea i think yeah as you said like so many of the
2: letters start out as sort of a a one-to-one real world metaphor and then and 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 you know even so there's the researching things so that the monsters feel real then there's like um so mythic menagerie actually um i think it was them who wrote in um uh, a letter about a, a, a shapeshifter who also has dissociative identity disorder, mm-hmm. and that was so great to have the opportunity to, to to actually go and learn about DID, and then to learn about like different kinds of, of plurality, different kinds of systems, different ways that DID can can look for different people, and that that's not the only way that people can be plural, and all of these things. So the research is a really nice way to sort of ping off from that and go yeah what is it actually what is it like if you're if you're a refugee and you've just moved here what what do you what do you have to worry about you know and like yeah yeah, this is for a letter about someone who's falling in and out of time but let's uh, yeah not sort of use it as an opportunity but also sort of use it as an opportunity i suppose to sort of develop my own empathy for for different people you know no
3: i was just gonna say I think I think for you, researching whether it is about finding out what particular kind of mole creature or other underground whatever or like about very real... few of them were moles actually. Very few were moles. So <laughs> there you go. You see, but this is this is because I think um so so one of the questions that sort of drew my eye here when we're talking about this is um so both Chris and teethworm say you know, are there any stories or folklore that you sort of learned about or wanted to include that got cut for time or that you haven't used? And um, and um Ember June, they also say, you know, have you got any like letters and submissions or ideas left over? And then are you going to do anything with that? And I think obviously you can answer all of those things yourself, but I know knowing you, anything you've put to one side or learned about is going to crop up at some point in a future project. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think of it as, like, compost, really. Like, I I think it's, it's healthy to put lots and lots of things into your compost bin and then it mulches down and comes out in interesting ways. Oh, I you know? think.
3: And just to prove, just to prove how... How much you do composting and reusing things and stuff, genuinely think you've said that on all three q and a s now we talked about your your <laughs> mul compost bit brain bin.
2: compost yeah, put, it is. put some stuff in your brain compost it's good for you, yeah, yeah, um yeah, so I are guess there any leftovers i think yeah, surely, like yeah, well, so we have there were there were five submissions specifically. From Orb Warb, <laughs> in uh, who uh, sent them in a season one, and then I was like, because uh, I think Orb Warb is they. I'm gonna say they. I'm sorry, Orb Warb. Please forgive me. Um, uh, they sent in like a lot in season one, and I used a lot of them. But I was like, oh, I'm gonna try and space them out, and sure, I'll have loads of time to fit them in in season two, and then. Loads of people submitted in season two and season three. So I have five little suggestions from Orb Warb sitting there that, that will never get used. Um, and then I still have like a full spreadsheet of ideas that I wrote out when I was first sort of coming up with Monstrous Agonies and first started thinking about what kind of letters we might use. Uh, my personal favorite is the Gestalt B consciousness. A.K.A. Hive Mind. <laughs> <laughs> you're so
3: farting funny. So farting funny. Yeah, but that'll um, crop up in something in the future. I can feel it because you're so pleased with it. So it'll show up. I'm
2: so pleased. Yeah. So there's 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 tons. I don't think there's any particular stories, like plot points, because there was so little plot. I think it, 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 we had.
3: Probably about mm, maybe a few episodes into season two, you and I had a big video chat where Mm. you kind of had, and I'm sure you won't mind me telling people this, you were a little bit like, what's the story? What's?" I had a huge flap. You had a big flap worrying about you'd set this thing up and then you were like, but I I sort of didn't really think it through i've set up an event and then where do we go <laughs> so we had a really good productive chat and then your laptop <laughs> and that the notes from that chat were just gone lost
2: lost to the sands of time and that's how we ended up with such incredible plot points as a wizard did a it. a wizard did it <laughs> Oh, but how did how did how did the CEO make the static in turn
3: holding a crystal up to the radio. But know this listeners, there is an alternate reality in which Hero's computer never crashed and those notes stayed and you got a totally different monstrous agonies resolution and story. Yeah. Um but we don't live in that world, we live in this one.
2: Uh, we don't remember any
3: of it. We don't remember it. No. I don't remember any of it. No.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
3: So even though we lost all of those plot points, Taze still says that the main cast in Monstrous Agonies are incredibly written and wants to know whether or not you have a particular process that you use to build characters or do you just kind of wing it as you go along you'll be shocked
2: to know i wing it
3: <laughs> <laughs> what a revelation what? I, we could just we could just take that sound
2: bite and have that for all the cats <laughs> just in this q a <laughs> in fairness characters i find particularly easy like i find plot extremely difficult to write and to come up with, which is one of the reasons that Monstrous Agonies doesn't really have any. And any that it does have is like so character driven. You know, like only the presenter could have got themselves into that situation. You know, uh-huh. like uh-huh. um and only the CEO would put them there and only Mab would be mabbing about in the background. <laughs> during- <laughs> She does love to mab about. She does mab about, doesn't she? Um. So I don't... I've never been someone who sits down and does... You know, I know some people, like, really swear by, like, doing questionnaires about their characters and, like, building them from the ground up or, mm-hmm. like, starting with an archetype and moving out from there. All of mine just roll up, just sort of fully formed. You know, like, like the presenter... I knew who the presenter was as soon as... Like, I don't... Like, it's not even it feels almost like lying to say that i made them up you know i just they were just there yeah and then everything that happens and the way that they react to that is like yeah because that's what they would do so that's actually kind of leads us on to
3: um ella asking you know did you always know that mab and the presenter were going to
2: have that romantic tension was it a plan since the beginning or did it develop over time it was so obvious. It was so <laughs> obvious that if you put the person of Mab in a room with the person of the presenter, they would hate f, and then regular f, and then fall out, and then get married, and get divorced, and fall in love again, and like that was it was just clear that 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 was what they were going to do. You know, like you could you could put those two people in any universe, in any situation, and they would have the same ridiculous um they you know emotional plots with each other because that's just it's it's just who they are i think
3: yeah i think i think as well like from from a listening standpoint obviously there's that first sort of hinted at relationship but i think once mab shows up in the flesh you're like oh okay so this is this is it like yeah. this is this is where we is like yeah here she is. I I sent you uh, a picture that was Roger Rabbit and Jessica Rabbit, and I was like, "That's them. That's <laughs> the mm, presenter." Mm-hmm. You can also substitute it for uh, Kermit and Miss Piggy. Yeah, uh, I think I think there's that kind of a blend of those two, and you've got it, and it's obvious, and there's no other way for it to possibly be. No, they're just they're written in the stars. What can I say? <laughs> Gray Robin, um, it wants to know. Well, first of all, it says, hey, dad, which... Hi, kiddo. <laughs> um, you know, people
2: call you dad. People call me dad. They do. They do. Um, I made a post on Tumblr on Father's Day that was like, um, hey, if your dad sucks, or if you just want another one, I'm your dad now. And people really liked that post a lot more than I thought they were going to <laughs> Yep. So, uh, so you are dad now. Congratulations on the fatherhood. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm gonna I'm gonna be weird about it. I'm gonna be weird about it, like every dad before me. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> that's all we can expect from a dad. So, one of your children
3: asks: Are there any particular pieces of media that influence monstrous agonies, like either things that you actively use to influence you at the time, or maybe listening back to episodes, you're like, oh God, that's really like X, Y, Z, you know? There, there were quite
2: a lot of letters, specific letters, that either were consciously riffing on, on another piece of media or I realised after. So I didn't realise until I was, I think I was in the middle of recording the troll letter. <laughs> and I was like, this is a Discworld troll. Yeah. And that's what that is. And it's so funny because it's such a Discworld troll. <laughs> So that was that was one whereas like there's um uh Peter Whimsey, Lord Peter Whimsy is in this as a ghost. Uh, he was haunting his big collection of books and pestering the the poor archival assistant who's trying to restore them. Like that's that's whimsy, and I knew it was whimsy at the time, and it's very obviously whimsy if you know whimsy. Um and like there's a there's a good omen's letter Where uh, one of them is like, we saved the world. I had a sword. It was on fire. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: But no, yeah, I think what's the point in making a fun show if you don't get
2: to slip in all these fun little things that you love? Yeah. And then I think there's also like a whole raft of things that are always going to be influencing everything that I write, mm-hmm. Diana Wynne Jones is always gonna be in there. Like Ursula Le Guin is always gonna be in there. Um actually that whole thing about um not wanting the end of Monstrous Agonies to be like, and then the presenter punches the CEO in the face and does a roundhouse <laughs> kick and it's really cool. And like a lot of that was because growing up uh, growing up a Quaker and and growing up raised by a pacifist It was really important to me that Ursula Le Guin's stuff was like really clearly not about punching evil in the face. Yeah. (laughs) Which, when you're a kid trying to read fantasy, is like there's not a lot of children's fantasy books that aren't about punching evil in the face.
3: No, you're right. Most of them are big battles and.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also loved The Hobbit, which obviously does have a big battle. But Bilbo gets bonked on the head and you miss the whole thing, which I just loved. Um and yeah, so so those kinds of things the the kinds of things that you could like it's it's pretty Pratchety in a lot of places. And it's like, oh yeah, of course it's uh, like <laughs> I can't not be really. Well, I know, but I it's it's
3: funny, isn't it? Because I think I think sometimes people shy away from the idea that something that they love so much is clearly such an influence on their work. But that's all anyone's ever been doing, you know, it's just being right. influenced right. and influenced and being made up of all these little things that
2: you love. Right. And like, if somebody turns around and is like, oh my god, that letter felt like Terry Pratchett wrote it. That's amazing. Like, I'm absolutely <laughs> like walking on clouds. Like, what a compliment. you
3: know? Yeah, I think the way that you decided to resolve the conflict at the end of the season was as you said kind of going off the back of all those heroes of yours and whatnot, like doing it in a way that is quite definite but without having to resort to violence or anything and obviously the the big part of that was station coming to life and chatting on so Alex, they ask, when did that idea of having station have its own voice? come into play and also Alex was one of the voices of Station. So
2: Thank you, Alex. said
3: that it was a very moving experience. And I think a lot of people would probably feel the same way who got to be a part of it, feeling that they got to be part of Monstrous Agonies. And obviously that's yeah. as we said, like that collaborative thing with the letters and everything. But I think it's very different. So when when did you have that idea? When did you know that's how you wanted to do it?
2: Um I think we, I think you and I had another one of my panicked, oh god, I don't know where <laughs> I'm going, video chats. Mm-hmm. But I think I was like two weeks in to the to season three, and I didn't know how it was going. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Sophie, help! Um, yeah, and and I think it 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 as soon as as soon as we sort of noodled our way to a non-violent. Ending Mm -hmm. a non-violent confrontation. That also, it was important to me that we respected the fact that, like, we aren't um, not to sort of waffle on. As individuals, there is a there is a hard limit on how much we can do. Yes, and we've been sold on purpose a lie about how much that is. Right, we have been told that we can. Buy ourselves out of capitalism, and that we can we can watch the right TV shows and make the world a better place, and that we can consume our way to goodness. Um, and this is bullshit this is nonsense. Um, this is a useful lie for the people who are trying to sell us things to consume, and a useful lie for the people who are actually responsible. And it's massively unhealthy because we take on this huge, huge pressure and huge responsibility for things that, like, you know, I was talking to to one of our mutual friends a, a little while ago, who was, as we all do, regularly having a bit of a panic about climate change. <laughs> um, and I was like, "You have got to remember, you are a slightly smarter than average monkey. It, we, <laughs> there is, <laughs> okay, there is a hard limit to the amount of influence you are." you do have and that you are supposed to have. So concentrate on the things that you can do, not because they're gonna save the world, but because they're good for you. It's good for you. It's it's healthy and emotionally and spiritually healthy for you to live in a way that aligns with your own ideals. Like, that's just it. It's 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 good for you. You'll feel better. And to kind of reassert that we have limited choices in that and we're all sort of tied into these these structures and these systems it's very very hard to to unpick yourself from um, and so i didn't want the end of monstrous agonies i don't mind making a joke about like we know the people who cause climate change and you can just kill and eat them like that's funny but for the finale i was like yeah but like realistically n- like we're not going to sit there and like undo the ceo and apodacorp and make them not ever have been but we can go it is important to choose who you listen to and where you listen and how you spend your time and you can just not engage with this like you can you can untangle yourself from this to a degree
3: yeah and i think the thing that's been proven time and time again is that like idiots in the vein of people like the ceo etc <laughs> defeating them in the the marketplace of ideas is all well and good. But like, as you said, not even giving them that platform. You know, yeah. the reason why they're all sort of going, debate me, debate me. It's because the second yeah. they get you in a debate, they can start to tell you what they think. And no, the thing is just to go,
2: no. Just stop paying attention. Stop mm-hmm. stop giving them airspace. Stop giving them uh, psychological space. You know, go and, and go for a walk. Just, Just hang <laughs> out. Just phone a friend read a book, just do something else. Um, I forgot what the question
3: was. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right, don't worry, I haven't. The question was basically about when did the idea of giving Station a voice of its own. So I think from that chat that you talked about that we had, we knew that Station was going to get involved at some point. But I think the idea of having the listeners be the voice of Station,
2: that came a little bit later. I think once I knew that, as soon as I knew station was going to speak, I wanted it to be the listeners. Uh Like those two ideas arrived at the same time. I've always liked dropping little hints about station being a little more sentient than your average radio station. (laughs) Um, So like the fact that it is station who chooses the letters, not the presenter, like they're, they're selected by station. The fact that station was like, Very excited to get Mab invited onto the show, (laughs) like, um, and these little things. And so it felt, I think that felt quite natural and, and uh, like it had been foreshadowed by someone who knew what was going on, Mm -hmm. which is always nice when you stumble across something that (laughs) is going to look like you planned it. You're like, oh, I've accidentally
3: seeded this the whole time. Yeah.
2: Nice. Good on me, aren't
3: I good? Yes, yeah, so obviously that was a lovely victory for you. But, um, Caitlin, uh, wants to know how did you, HR, I don't ever, ever want to put sound effects on anything, <laughs> Owen, feel about editing that episode, both in terms of the general sound effects and then having to create station from everyone's voices? She does say that you did a marvellous mm. job with it. But it was. Thank you, Caitlin. It was um, a
2: job that you. It was a rod for your own back, wasn't it, really? You sort of. uh... Well, weirdly, actually. So the voice of Station was actually just time consuming. So it took me about 20 minutes tootling around with some of the the recordings to figure out how to get it to do what I wanted it to do. Because I knew exactly what I wanted it to sound like. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know how to make it do that. (laughs) And then. it was it was time consuming because the response was way bigger than I thought it was going to be. Um, so I had basically taken every individual word and and put them into each word was in two different groups, and then everyone who wanted to be stationed got given a group, which was a, a list of words.
3: Yeah, and you didn't miss any groups whatsoever.
2: Mm, I didn't miss any groups. I didn't miss any groups. <laughs> All of the groups were fine. I accidentally put the word not in four groups instead of two. And then which word was it, Sophie? This. This. And you know that because I realised <laughs> I didn't have any recordings for this while I was making it and had to run into all of my group chats and go, Hey guys, could you just uh, record yourself saying the word this, please? Thanks. <laughs> Love you. Love <laughs> you. Um, so the word "this" is—it's really lovely, actually. It worked out really nicely because it means that this is voiced by you, our friend Jeeves, my best friend Sean, my boyfriend Matthew, and my little mum. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> so it was—it actually worked out really nicely that there's just this one one word that is like this one is all of my lovely people. <laughs> um, yeah. So the actual voices station was time consuming just because it was sort of fiddly. Um, so each word that you hear probably took about 15, 20 minutes to do. And because I didn't want to, the reason that I put them, put each word in two different groups was because I didn't want to have the same voices saying the same word over and over if yes. that makes sense. Yeah. So I ended up with, let's say 20 people saying station. And then station, I think, gets said five different times, so it's five different combinations of those twenty. So, so not- that it's not going to end up sounding like you know an Alexa saying it. Exactly, exactly. And then I, I also went and got some words out of the bonus episodes because uh, I tell you what, Alan Bergen can really say not <laughs> like he really f- <laughs> says it from his chest. <laughs> Never. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was uh, just, just time consuming and also a bit emotional because a lot of people sent in really, really lovely messages with theirs as well, which I had not anticipated and did make me feel a bit overwhelmed in a good way. I think the children say verklempt. So the actual, the actual hard part of both that episode and, uh, the, the, previous seasons when the ceo turns up and is mm-hmm. like oh i'm gonna kick your bloody doors in um <laughs> when <laughs> yeah that's that's what the ceo
3: oh like. we need a bonus episode of monstrous agonies for you to do that accent the
2: whole time <laughs> but those anytime where because i i think i can just about manage to make it sound as if mab and the presenter are in the same room together but trying to make it sound like the CEO is also in that room, but they're also not all stood in the same place in the studio and they're also not all right in front of the microphone, but also you can actually hear them. Um, actually, the, the smooching at the end of season three. Oh, I was... It's smooches. I was... You were worried and you didn't tell me you were worried. I think that's the thing that really struck me <laughs> is that as soon as that episode went up, you were like, oh, I was really worried this kissing was going to sound sh- and I was like, "Well, you didn't tell me that." Well, yeah, because what
3: good would it have done? It's not that I doubted your ability. It's more a personal thing in that, like,
2: mm-hmm.
3: kissing doesn't sound nice. Kissing doesn't. Sound kissing nice. doesn't sound nice. So when I saw my first reaction was obviously excitement. Sure. As a fan of this lovely pairing, <laughs> but my second reaction was, "Oh no." I'm going to have to listen to kissing noises. But obviously you have an excellent scene partner and you did a
2: very, very good job because it was fun to listen to. It was very right. fun. I think I think the, the key thing is that it feels like they're just <laughs> and not oh, it's, slippy no, slidey tongues. Gets, it, it, Oh, I think it sounds a bit slippy slidey. Do you one think it point. sounds slippy slidey tongues? Oh, that's very my I think you need to listen to some more podcasts to hear just how bad kissing is
3: no sound. It's not, No, but I think it's it's good <laughs> slippy slidey, not like as in I can hear the slurping, but as in there were just some some very deeply <laughs> satisfied little murmurs. Mm. Yes, the grunts are what yeah, makes it. It implied without me having to hear someone's tongue go on a spin cycle,
2: you know? So yeah. Yeah, that's what mine does. I, it's, it's like a little propeller. Just,
3: <laughs> just like one of those little caps that little schoolboys yeah, wear. Like exactly. The...
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the hard part is actually making people sound like they're in the same room. And, uh, and there's lots and lots of things that, um, when you get the actual sound of it, it doesn't sound like it, you know? Yeah. That, I think that's one of the things with kissing. The sound of kissing doesn't sound like kissing. If Liz and I had made out in a sound booth, it wouldn't have sounded like Mab and the presenter were smooching. Most of the Mab and the presenter kissing is me kissing my hand. Perfect. That was just the easiest. And just being a bit like, ooh, wasn't that lovely? (laughs) Ooh, hand. (laughs) Nobody knows me like you do.
3: (laughs) There's quite a few people who both A, are making a lot of like hero puns on your name, hero's journey, you being their hero, etc. There's a lot of that. So if you've made that joke in your Q&A question, know that I've seen it and I'm holding space for you, but I'm not going to say it, <laughs> okay? So other than making puns about your name, quite a lot of your valued listeners sort of want to know, what have you learnt Making the podcast, you know, what were the learning curves? And what do you think is good advice for anyone setting out on their own podcast
2: journey? Not including the mid season break, I took as many weeks off in season three as I took in season one and two combined. (laughs) And do you think that was healthy, Hero? Do you think that was a good way to do it? Yeah, I think that might have been the right decision. Mm. I also had way more delayed episodes, episodes that just came out the day after on the Friday, just cause. Um, So, yeah, so that was was a big learning curve of just um, acknowledging that, like, yeah, I want this to be a professional-ish production, but it's not not actually a professional, I'm not actually getting paid for this. I am just sitting in a wardrobe making it every week. And it's okay if if the schedule gets a little unprofessional because of well, that. Well, okay. I'm going to... No, not unprofessional as a... Not... Not... No, 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 no. You said it's now. You have to listen to me bop you
3: on the nose because it's not unprofessional. You are a professional, first of all. You literally are. You are. And it's not unprofessional to take a break you know yes. we'll be unprofessional
2: no, i I agree but i mean i mean in terms of like you know there are production companies who first of all are a production company and that's not what this is it's a much smaller scale production and i think trying to compare myself to large-scale productions and be like well why don't i have loads of merch and it's like because you can't be f***ed pal like yeah <laughs> not only merch because you couldn't be asked doing it yeah. So my, and my advice for people starting a podcast would be rest more. Mm-hmm. And, and also don't shoot yourself in the foot by being like super ambitious. Cause, you know, so many of the podcasts that, that we love as podcast fans are like full cast, like fully realized soundscaped worlds. You know, you kind of, I, I think in your head, you're like, yeah everybody says that podcasting has a really low barrier for entry because all you need is a microphone. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> but
3: also, quite a lot of people have quite a bit more than a microphone. Quite yeah. a lot of people have a big studio and producers yeah.
2: and sponsors and money. <laughs> money and the thing that money, that, that money gets you is time. So one of the reasons that I've been able to, to do Monstrous Agonies so consistently is because I am a, a, a lazy, work-shy slacker who never has you a job. a creature of <laughs> leisure. I'm a creature of leisure. I've got a big bung of money <laughs> that that has meant that I don't have to, to work in the same way that other people have to work, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which means that I can make Monstrous Agonies and get Some money from my Patreon and build that up and do that every single week because I haven't had a full time job the whole time I've been doing it. And that's, that's, you know, it takes, it takes time. It certainly does, but it isn't, you know, complicated soundscapes for hour long episodes with a full cast kind of thing. Um, and I think people get really, really excited by the medium and by the possibilities of the medium and they plan something really, really, really big and then they don't achieve their goals in the way that they hoped mm-hmm. because they've never done it before because they're learning because they're practicing you know and then they they get frustrated and disheartened and don't make a podcast anymore and that's really really sad yeah yeah I, think- I don't i don't because i don't i don't want to sound like i'm putting
3: people off. No, I don't think you are. I think you're being very practical. And I think the thing is that the barrier is low entry in a lot of regards in that you are beholden to no one making a podcast, you know, you can just do it and put it out there. Mm-hmm. And I think the the thing, you know, it's it's giving yourself the space to make it the way you need to make it. So like for you, hero, mm-hmm. you're very if you aren't working on something, your brain is going, brrr, and you can't handle it. So, so yeah. releasing. I managed. I managed two days not two working days, after two days. They had a little holiday after the <laughs> show finished, and
2: I was furious. You Each were so one cross.
3: Days, so, I was so cross. cross. Having <laughs> a horrible time. So I think, yeah, for you, one episode a week for all these years, with little with little breaks in between and whatnot is doable, it's viable, but for other people out there, you might only be able to do, you know, one episode every two weeks
2: or one a month. You have to do it in a way that makes sense for you and that works for mm-hmm. you. I think also like I think the encouraging side of that is like you can just try things out. So one of the reasons that I have found Monstrous Agnes, the end of Monstrous Agnes, so deeply, deeply strange emotionally. Like I have not known what I feel about the end of Monstrous Agonies. Um, But part of that is because it's the first big project that I finished since the last big project that I finished. (laughs) And the last big project that I finished was a novel that I wrote in my early to mid-twenties, and I'd worked on it for for years, and then I sent it out to agents, and it got signed to an agent, and it got sent out to publishers, and nothing happened. And just nothing. Mm. Nobody wanted it. They didn't even hate it enough to reject it. It was just nothing. Just radio silence. Just radio silence and the occasional email from my agent saying when he was off for his Christmas break. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, thanks, pal. That's, that's good to know. Happy Christmas. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, cool, 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 cool. Um, and that was obviously like upsetting for a lot of reasons. Um, but one of the things that, that was really, really hard was that I had Pinned so many hopes on that book, being how I became a writer, you know, and because it got signed to an agent so quickly, it was like, oh my god, it's happening! It's happening now! It's happening now! Uh-huh. And and I'm finally going to be a legitimate writer, um, and it just didn't, and it didn't in a really underwhelming and kind of long. Time. It wasn't. A, I read something somewhere about like heartbreak and about how like muscles doesn't break it tears Ooh. and that's but yeah it just it just tore slowly and hurt a lot for a really long time and in a way that I'm like I don't know if I'm ever going to write another novel because that sucked <laughs> um and uh, and because of that feeling of having put so many of my emotional eggs into that basket
4: mm-hmm.
2: so that it felt like it going badly, or it not going anywhere, was like, oh well, what do I, what do I do now? Because I was going to be a novelist, and now I'm not. And I think that's something that I think early career creators often do. They think that this is going to be it. That this, this comic, is the
3: one, this is the one thing, yeah. and everything rides
2: on this one thing. And yeah. And and that can be really awful, whereas if you go into it with this attitude of play, you know, and you go in and you say, like, yeah, I'm going to make a podcast. I'm going to tootle around for a bit and make a podcast, and that seems fun, and we'll see what happens. And yeah, I'm going to write some short stories and send them off to some magazines and see, you know, that that sounds like fun. You know, I've never written a haiku. Like, how hard can a <laughs> sonnet be just trying out lots and lots of different things? and just trying not to be too precious about one project in particular. Um, So with Monstrous Agony's ending, it's like, I think part of the weirdness has been like, a lot of people have been talking about it as this huge, huge thing, this one project. And I'm like, yeah, it was, it was huge for me. Obviously it's, it's a really big thing. And it's the first big thing that I've had that, that other people have engaged with on a, on a huge scale. Um, But like, i'm not i'm not dying <laughs> i mean here i'm sorry that this is
3: how you're finding out no. but um <laughs> y- you are uh, uh. once we finish recording this that's it this is actually your well, eulogy the
2: Q&A? <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh no not me <laughs> fine we'll hold off on the we'll hold off on the death for a bit
2: That brings us to the end of part one of the Q&A. Tune in next week for part two. Thanks again to Sophie B for joining me. And a very special thank you to our beautiful volunteer, Rachel, who produced the transcript. If you've enjoyed Monstrous Agonies, please consider signing up for a monthly pledge at patreon.com slash Monstrous or making a one-off donation at ko-fi.com hroin. You can also support the show by sharing with your friends and familiars and following us on Tumblr at Monstrous Agonies and on Twitter at Monstrous underscore pod. This podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution-On-Commercial-Share-Alike 4.0 international license. The theme tune is Dakota by Unheard Music Concepts. Thanks for listening, and remember, the real monsters.